Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Drip. Jeff, welcome back to the Leadership Drip. I, I tell you what, I am really excited about our show today, and uh, we have a very special guest, uh, Beth Moore, who probably needs very few, if any, actual introductions. None at all. She's a world-class theologian, Bible scholar, author, writer, preacher, teacher, friend of the gospel, and who else? She's the funniest person on Instagram. Funniest per- oh, That's man. Probably true. That's probably true. <laughs> she, her, her Insta stories are unreal funny. Unreal. Okay, y'all, you got me in the palm of your hand. That's right. <laughs> you really do. You really do. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the founder of Living Proof Ministries. We want to make sure we get that out there, a Bible-based organization for women uh, out of the Houston, Texas area. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to blow your mind here just a little bit, okay? I do actually it. know where Tomball, Texas is. I have been there on several occasions. No, what I can understand you being there on one occasion. I'm trying to imagine what had you the second or <laughs> okay. third so here's, time. So here's the story. My <laughs> wife and I were missionaries uh, many years ago, and there was a small church in Tomball, Texas, that was a huge fan of ours, and they supported us on the mission field. So we would go back to this small church in, in Tomball, Texas, and, uh, and spend some time. So anyway, I know where Tomball is. Uh-huh. I know where you live. Wow, I am so glad to know that. And for um, others, it's just right. It's just north of Houston. We literally live out a dirt road, so we are about six miles outside, even of Tomball. So Tomball is outside of Houston, and then right. we live outside. We're in the suburb of Tomball, out, <laughs> out by the cows and the and the pigs. But I've got to tell you guys something. I have a direct connection to uh, Lee University okay. because okay. I have a very, very invested interest there because you have a student there who is a, a sophomore, um, Lily Kate Cottrell, who is like flesh and blood to me. Uh, Travis Cottrell, her daddy, yes. has been uh, a partner with me in ministry. He has led out in music and as worship leader and is just all things uh, music in my conferences now for we have worked together for 24 years so, so that tells you i have known her since i since she was in her mommy's tummy right wow. i mean i've known the child all her entire let life me, so let me brag on her for a minute oh please i saw her do. sunday she leads helps leads at a uh, worship at a church here in town yes with some yes. other friends of yours Where, the Jeremy. richardson's uh-huh. and amy richardson's I who are good friends so of ours oh i love um, knowing this so my wife and amy lived in virginia together so like we're all connected in this jeremy i've known for a long time even smaller world and she did well let me can't brag on lily kate she did phenomenal job on sunday she is doing so well here. So she is tremendously gifted. Oh, do tell I me what were you going to say, Rob? What was what you said? Dana was Amy's counselor in Virginia. So. Uh, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. <laughs> How it, it are we really not making that? <laughs> So I know it. Uh, we have so many mutual friends. So That's I right. think she, she's, you know, I, I constantly, I, there are 17 people that are just like my flesh and blood, uh, that they are my little, my little core group, my, that I consider my family. Mm-hmm. And that's how close I am to her family. So I yeah. speak her name and her brother, her brother's names and her sister-in-law, her parents, every single time. I am um, in prayer for my family members. So anyway, she, she means so much to me. And so therefore you do. Mm-hmm. I uh, was not as familiar 
um, before I knew some of the people on my worship team, uh, Lisey Brown, for instance, she is a Lee girl and she just mm -hmm. loved it so much. So that's how you guys came on my radar. And then when we were praying through where Lily was going to go to college and when she got the a connection and invitation to come there, then of course you became extremely dear to me. So you're on my radar every single day. Lisey Brown babysat my boys when they were when they were little i hope our and audience did, is singing and, games with our well, did, did I, I need to know did they live till y'all got did. home they're, and they're see lisi would love that i asked that they're she safe. really would <laughs> it's all good well let's get started let's, let's well get yeah started. so so you are you are the uh we had the godmother of all things Ooh. lisa bevere on but you are really the queen oh, yeah. of bible studies <laughs> But we want to know how that got started. I mean, because the Beth Moore we know today who's publishing books and studies it had to start somewhere. How did that get oh, started yes. for you, Beth? Yes, yes. And I'm going, I'm going to put it in a nutshell for you because it is a longer part of my testimony, but I, I'm going to make it as short as I possibly can. I, when I was 18, I'll circle back this, to this toward the end of our time together. But that's when I really sensed the call of God. Um, on my life. And I, I, I literally surrendered without having any notion whatsoever what it was going to be. So it was just like, I, I, I knew that he was calling me. I had no idea what he was calling me to actually do. So it was just like the next thing. I don't know any other way to put it, but right. fairly early on, it became clear to me, uh, even in the later part of college, then I was, you know, I was chaplain in my sorority and then I was president of my sorority. And it would be like, I, I, would, I would be in a position to be up front quite a lot. And then in this organization and that. So uh, by the time I was in my mid twenties, I was doing what in what we call back in those days. And I, I, I could uh, not only be uh, your uh, mother, Jeff, I could probably be your, your grandmother. Uh, but no. so you have to think of all of these, all of these years ago, what we called Christian motivational speaking. That's probably what I, what I was at that time. Loved, loved Jesus. Also a train wreck. That's another story that we can get into if you want to, but just, you know, a really, really messed up person, but I really had a, a heart for God and was very, very sincere, but not well discipled in the word. Well discipled in evangelism. You know, I was just raised in a very, um, uh, evangelistic uh, denomination and church. So, I mean, I knew what it was to be saved. And I mean, Jesus was the most beyond my own family members names. Jesus was the most familiar name in my, in my life. Mm -hmm. But so I spoke with earnestness, but it wasn't until I was 27 when I was asked and by this time, I'd already spoken quite a lot at luncheons, dinners, some retreats, that kind of thing. But I hadn't started teaching yet. I was asked, I was going to First Baptist Church in Houston at the time. So understand very, very large, I mean, mega church. Yeah, and yeah. I will believe forever that it was so intentional of God because there was so much opportunity underneath that roof that I got that I don't know how I would have done without. So I get an invitation. A, a woman that had mentored me some said, listen, a, a Sunday school class for women has come open. They are in need of a teacher. And um, they are wondering if maybe you would consider taking it for a year while their regular teacher is, you know, going to have, you know, is preparing to have a baby and it's going to have a, a, an infant. And so she said, I really think you should do it. And I did. And I, I was terrible. Uh, I was just terrible, but I was very popular. Very. We had our, our, our class was packed. 
Uh, we had so much fun, but whether or not they were being raised in the word was a different story entirely. I mean, there will always be a scripture in it, but you just can't imagine how I would work hard to get it there. But anyway, <laughs> toward the end of that year, I was so miserable because I knew I was a failure and a Bible doctrine class got offered at my church. And somehow I just knew, um, I mean, it was just like, take it. It was like the voice of God going, please, I mean, deliver all of us, take it for crying out loud. And, and uh, I did. And I was even the first night. Now, please understand this has got like 15 people in it. And I have a friend that was in it at that time. And she always, every time I tell the story, she said, you know, Beth, I was in that same class and it didn't do that same thing for me. But <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. He, my teacher had a love for the scriptures. I knew that the man would rather study his Bible than eat his next meal. I'd never, I had seen, I want you both to understand, I had seen people who loved Jesus throughout my life that served him faithfully. But I don't think I had ever met anyone that I would tell you they, he or she loves the study of scripture. I mean, for me, and there were a lot of scriptures that I, that I loved, but to me, Bible study was a discipline. It was something like you got up and you read your whatever daily little portion of scripture you were going to read. You know, I would just think this is what you do, not this is what you live to do. This is what you do until that day. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, you know, we don't know. We can't explain to somebody else what only God can really yeah. explain what, what it was that happened that day. He just meant it to be, but I don't think I took down a single note. And it's the story that I tell to this day that I want to cry every time I tell it, I've got a lump in my throat right now. I, I went straight downstairs after it was over and I got in my car and I shut the car door and I said to the Lord out loud, burst, burst into tears, just like I'm about to now and said, I don't know what that was, but I want it. Mm-hmm. I want it. And what I can tell you that moment that moment, it was as if God uh, took a, a match and, and struck it across a stone and he put a torch in my, in my heart for the study of scripture. And I, listen, I got to tell you guys, and it doesn't mean, no, it doesn't give me chill bumps every day. No, I'm not just greatly moved every single day, but I am completely mesmerized by it. This morning, again, just in my own time with God, I was mesmerized by it. And so how the Bible study ministry developed is that I loved it so much. And this same premise drives me over and over. And I I just, I love to picture who might be listening to us um, when we do something like this, gentlemen, because I want, I hope so much that somebody gets a word from this. I, I, I do not believe that I just was like somehow special or unique I, I think that God would cause anybody to just light up to the word that really had an appetite for it. And I have, I, for, I, don't, I, I wish I could think of a good way to put it. I have enjoyed Jesus so much. I've just enjoyed him uh, for all of these years. And, and I just, I love, I love the sacred page. And so what happened for me is that I wanted other people to feel that. And one of the ways you could know if you have a, a gift of teaching, if, if you have other gifts, like God can be showing you something that you, you can just like appreciate for yourself, not if you're a teacher. Mm-hmm. If you're a teacher, your inclination, if it helped you, 
if it rebuked you, if it equipped you, if it somehow was a, 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 an attitude or perspective um, changer. It, you want someone else to know. I, I'm driven by wanting to help people to walk out this, this journey of faith because I was such and still have that tendency to sort of be a wreck. And uh, it's just what the Lord has used all this time to keep me in it. I just, I love it. I just love it. So, you know, you, you teach out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the great challenges obviously we have here on the campus and you probably know the metrics as well as I do about the biblical illiteracy of, of a generation like this. So want to keep the conversation positive, but, but certainly one of the challenges I have out of my office is helping students to understand, to know how to study scripture. They, they have a desire for the word. They believe the yes. word, they want to engage with it. And so from that moment where things kind of shifted for you in that class, that doctrine class, yes. what really, what was sort of that process of learning how to study the Bible, not just the passion for the Bible? Okay. This, I'm so glad you asked that because this is where tools began to be my, my best friend that they, what happened for me, I, I tried, I, um, applied for seminary and I tried to go for a semester and I couldn't make it work with my family. It was all the way across town, the furthest possible uh, reach from where I live to where that uh, particular seminary uh, was at um, Houston Baptist on the other side of uh, a very large city. And it just did not work for my family. And so one of the things that ended up happening uh, for me is that that teacher that I just told you about, started to mentor me because I kept staying up after class and asking questions. And so he said, you know what, I'm going to give you some things to read. He said, I, I don't want to see you again until you read them. I'd come back the next week. You can't possibly be finished. No, I am finished. I am finished. And he'd quiz me about it. No, I, I did. I did read it. He started coming over to my house and, you know, he was so appropriate that he'd make my husband sit there with us oh, at the table. And he, so, he, but he taught me how to use uh, resources. He taught me how to use a Bible dictionary. He taught me how to use a concordance. He taught me how to, what, what a commentary was, how to look a portion up and how to check it, you know, from commentary to commentary to make sure that I had not, you know, I could, I could have imagination about how I was going to apply it and my illustration, but he was like trying to keep me where it was. That, that there was some precedent for how I was going to interpret that yeah. and um, as, a, as a young teacher. And so these are the same things that they would do today. The, the difference is that the, uh, the access we have to them is just, it's, it's just, yeah. it's mind blowing. Right. The only way to explain the access we have to discipleship today is that God meant it to be that I, you know, I have to believe in this, you know, this is just my personal take on it, that we're just like, it's just an all out war out there in the heavenlies. And, um, you know, the enemy is furious because he knows his time is short, Revelation 12, 12. And I just think that uh, God is just arming regular lay people. And by that, I mean, for somebody that's not used to that kind of terminology, I'm talking about people that aren't vocationally going into some area of ministry where you know, just uh, men and women, um, uh, teenage girls and, and teenage guys uh, beginning to get in the scriptures for themselves and, and uh, just 
come to come to love it and make that connection. And so um, they are fortunate indeed. What they're going to have to do there when they're in a surrounding where it is common, because it's a very uncommon thing. There's got to be that. That's what holiness is. is right. This very uncommon thing is happening to you in what feels like a, it feels common. And so they're, only the Holy Spirit can bring them to a place where they own their own faith. And, you know, I hate to say this, but often that is through hardship. Mm. Um, through things not going the way they wanted them to go. It's going to be through maybe failure. Uh, for me, it was certainly a lot of that. I'm just you know, doing it the wrong way and then just totally, totally becoming reliant on him. But that's something only the spirit can do, but he surely is good at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Miss Beth, we, we've talked about being here on Lee University. Um, mm. One of the interesting statistics here is that probably the school of religion is becoming and is not becoming is um, more female than male. We have a lot of young ladies w- wanting to go into ministry. Um, how did you, in, in the tribe you come from, that's not looked on as well as it is in others? Um, we talked to <laughs> very well put. Thank you. Yes. We, what's interesting is we talked to uh, a friend of ours, Alex Seeley, who's a pastor, and she's from Australia, and she said to us that it wasn't even thought of in Australia. Women preachers was very common in Australia. No. We've talked to Lisa Bevere, who is um, yes. in ministry herself, and, and it's well- Totally different world. Her tribe. Yeah. Um, so totally how do you different worlds. reconcile your calling with sort of the, the tribe you're in that doesn't always let women speak? Well, it, it has been, it's been some kind of journey, I'll tell you for sure. And these worlds could not be more different. I, I even remember the first time, I love to, to talk to my other friends, women friends that are in ministry from other traditions, because we can laugh until we can't sit up because it's like, oh, the absurdity of the different kinds of atmospheres we've come from. But Lisa's could not be more different than mine right. in that she just, you know, can is welcome to speak on any Sunday. Christine Kane is the exact same way. Mm-hmm. That could not be more different for me. But I, of course, have to also believe that the Lord knew exactly where I was and exactly where he was going to have me when it happened. So it had to have had purpose. But so this is why you remember what I said a few minutes ago when I sensed the call of God that I had no idea what I was going to do. Well, bingo. I mean, you're on the reason because like, what can a woman do? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I had no idea. I thought, well, I, I guess I'm, I, I guess I'm going to go to the mission field. And, um, and I, I somehow did not think I, I I've wondered now looking back on it. Cause I've met so many people that said, you know, I, I don't know. I somehow thought I was going, I believed that I would be a pastor's wife, but I, that, that thought never occurred to me. I knew it was very personal. I knew it was, mm-hmm. it was my calling, but I did not know what it would be. But what, what I did have, and I am amazed by it now because I try to think how strategic the Lord had to have been knowing what I know now about, the, about my tradition and my stream, every single church I was part of, and say by the time I was in my, okay, say 27, by the time I was in that church and really beginning to cut my teeth um, as, a Bible t- uh, as a Bible teacher, I had probably been a member of only about four or maybe five, and they would have been over moves, over literally moving from Arkansas to Houston, going to college, and then coming back and marrying. And so about maybe about five churches, but all five of those, I had been active in church 
uh, since I was 12 years old. And what I mean is actively serving. I, I was in, in my tradition, one really wonderful thing about it is that it was just, uh, it was assumed you were going to serve. It was just like, where are you going to serve in the church? But you're, you know, everybody, everybody was going to serve. I don't know that I knew anybody that didn't, but what, what, I, as soon as I, graduated out of vacation Bible school, which I think was like the fifth grade, that next year I began helping with vacation Bible school. By the time I was 18 and teaching that and and received that call, I was teaching in the summertime a Sunday school class for sixth grade girls. So, uh, so all the time, all five churches, and particularly the last one where I was when I really had that eye-opening, just that my heart just exploded um, for uh, love of the study of scripture. I could not have had more supportive pastors. I just, none of them, there just was not the feeling. And the whole time I served at First Baptist under that same pastor, and it would, it would end up being nearly, nearly 30 years by the time he retired. There was no threat. There was nothing. I served shoulder to shoulder with my, with my brothers and, sisters, we all served together. I mean, of course, I wasn't, I I wasn't on the pastoral staff. I I never did anything of of that nature. My ministry was always, um, was always parachurch, you know, I mean, I always taught at my church, but it was like living proof was parachurch. But anyway, I, so I got so much support. It really was more when I got out in the larger world and ran into it and realized I wasn't welcome and was treated differently and treated uh, with disesteem and not always, but I can tell you this, I can tell you this, the times that I was, that I wasn't treated like I didn't have any business being there, they stood out enough to me to, to remember them for a long time. In other words, it just was either kind of dismissed ignored but by the time they were really gracious and their arms were wide open it was noticeable so that's how rare it was Mm. but um the force of the call that i couldn't i couldn't stop i i couldn't you know i I, that's the the faithfulness of god to his calling um it says he first thessalonians 5 uh, verse 23 um and 24 when he says when he says uh talks about the lord sanctifying us uh, through and through our whole body soul and spirit and he says he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it so there there was that and then meanwhile of course i was studying and there are women i'm very aware of what first timothy uh two i couldn't be more aware of it. I could not possibly be more aware of it. First Corinthians 14, I'm aware of all of those things. I, I do realize that those uh, things are in the word and, and they're not all that's in the word. So we have to, we have to struggle with the tension that is there. Mm-hmm. And what was there over and over and over again uh, were examples of women who served side by side, shoulder to shoulder with Paul. I mean, you look at Romans chapter 16, and just you take your pen and check mark off every single woman's name when he's giving that benediction and giving greetings to those with whom he's worked. When he talks about in Philippians, who's his yoke fellows in the gospel, all of these things, I knew, okay, okay, there's, there's a tension there and all of it is, all of it's true. Now, how does all of it work together? And so truly it was going there. I knew I knew it couldn't be that that Jesus did not use women. Why, why on earth would he have determined? 
he got he chose who he would reveal himself right. to after his resurrection and it was women and then he said now go tell your brothers don't tell me that a woman cannot speak to a brother when Jesus said, go tell your brothers. So anyway, it has not been an easy road. It still is not easy. It, it really is not. Um, sometimes you just have to, you know, take a deep breath and do what you believe uh, God is calling you to do. And as Romans says, you know, it's before um, her, her or his master that every servant rises or falls. It's yeah. at the end of the day, um, did I please Jesus? And yeah. that's, what, that's what I want. Let, let's dig just a little bit deeper on on this kind of topic, this conversation for, conversation for just a second, a little bit off script. But uh, we still have a long ways to go in terms of women in leadership, yes. women in positions of authority, um, all of those conversations and issues that exist. Even as we speak right now, we may possibly have the first ever female in the presidential office. That is correct. President, right. That so is correct. We've came a long way. We've got a long ways to go. One of the one of the um, things I see on, on, on a college campus here um, with young women, young women who are feeling very empowered and very inspired is now that there's sort of this liberation, and I don't mean that in a the theological sense no, or, or whatever, but there's this, there's this sense of a, a lack of constraint, which is great. A lot of these young women now are beginning to struggle with what that freedom or perhaps even that power looks like for for them in a responsible mm -hmm. way. And so mm -hmm. uh, we see it across social media platforms, uh, TikTok or whatever, where young women are expressing themselves, which we applaud, but they're expressing themselves perhaps in ways that are not necessarily um, either holy, we could use that term, or beneficial to them as a woman, we could, we could go that route. But how do you and how are you right now encouraging young women to handle this responsibility of power and authority well, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. Uh, would it be fair for me to say to you, Rob, that everything you just got through saying to me is just as true of men? Absolutely. Okay. Of course. So yeah. let this, yes, let's, let's do go back to that because I would read to you what came to my mind immediately was Ephesians 4, 1 and uh, 2. Listen, listen to what it looks like. Listen to what it looks like when we, when we walk in our calling. This is man or woman. This is anyone. This is what it looks like. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received mm -hmm. with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. And I just absolutely love that because I, I want to say again, this is male or female. Yes. It doesn't make any difference which one we're talking about here. Just because it's a man doesn't mean that arrogance and conceit is okay for him. It is still acting in the flesh and not in the spirit. So these things really go across the board uh, from servant to servant, regardless of the gender, because what we are told to do is that if we are truly um, walking out our calling in the spirit, there will be a humility about us. There will be a certain gentleness about us that doesn't mean we can't speak our mind. That does. We, we can always look back at the life of Christ and see that he was someone who could certainly call it like he saw it. But uh, at no time did he, um, did he ever depart 
uh, from the things that would have been um, in keeping with, with the Son of God and with, uh, with the Spirit of God, with patience and bearing with one another in love. So, you know, in, arrogance of any kind on either side is out of, um, is out of bounds of the yeah. uh, of our, our of our holy calling, mm-hmm. and so also I think there's got to be a a submissiveness of all of us to the things of Christ. In other words, for all of us, and I do mean male and female. That I mean, there's a that when when we don't get what we thought was fair, and I mean, there are times to definitely, I'm not talking about what's just and what's unjust. I'm just not fair right now, just fair. Um, there is a bowing down before the Lord and going, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit this to you and I am going to uh, let you deal with it. And he does it. And I always think to myself, man, where I am up there, you know, just swing it, just, you know, pumping my fist and uh, acting entitled when I'm out there champion championing myself, you know, he's going like, you know, you go ahead, <laughs> you go ahead because there's no need for me to, you know, you, you go ahead, you go ahead, Beth, because you're just, you know, let's see how well you do. Uh, he's the one that takes up our cause. Mm-hmm. He's the one that will see to it, that will see to it. Uh, but there just has to be uh, that spirit of humility and um, that spirit of, uh, gentleness um, it must be true of of all of us, and that we have to the entitlement. I, I want to tell you something. God is able to humble the proud, mm-hmm. and I love that He says, "Humble yourselves," because I, I would always rather. I just feel like sometimes the Holy Spirit wants to whisper to us, "Let's see, do you want to humble yourself, or shall I humble you?" No, 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 no. I'm down. I'm down. I'll humble myself. But I think that entitlement is a very scary right. part of our culture, mm-hmm. and there is there is a respect and a submission of spirit that goes with ministry and an awe of the calling that is, that must be um, in every, in every heart that's going to walk worthy of his or her calling. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting thing. And, and I don't want to, I'd like to bring up the question without naming names because we've seen ministers fall recently. 2020 has had its yes. fair share of, of those in the limelight yeah. um, fall. How do we how do we resist the arrogance? How do we resist sort of that that sort of when success comes and you've had incredible success, Miss Beth? Um, how do we stay humble in the calling? You know, one of the worst and best things that ever happened to me. I, I think about this so often, Jeff, because if I could rewrite my story, I'd write out every single bit of what I'm about to generalize to you. My huge failures and failings and just in this ditch and up with repentance and then in another one and then back up with repentance, you know, just not yet to really develop the renewed mind in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. My failure my failures, and they were many, many, really preceded 
uh, my time in the spotlight. Mm. I mean, of course I've had, I've done a lot of stupid things since then. I'm talking about the kinds of things that would just like basically put you, just put you out for a while, at least yeah. sit you down for a while. The kinds of things that take deep restoration, uh, not just repentance. But so I went into it already be, having been a wreck so I didn't get to take in, I, I've always known, ooh, I, I'm only here by the grace of God. Right. So that was a big help to me. One of the things I do, I would like to say, and I, I know, like you said, there are a number of names that could come to mind, but I, I know who you're referring to, and it's just absolutely heartbreaking. But I, I do want to say a couple of things there. Number one, I want to say, you can imagine if warfare is what it is for the everyday uh, doing the doing the thing um, believer. Try to imagine what it is like for someone who is out front. How the enemy wants so much to scheme. How he sets us up and watches and knows our vulnerabilities. He knows exactly uh, where we're where we'll uh, where we're weak. Exactly when we're so tired and uh, when we're not being watched. When we're not being held um, accountable. You can just imagine. And then you know the snowball of it. On the other hand, I want to come right back around to that and say that the failure of the, if if what is being said is true, the failure of people close by to have first confronted it and then done something about it, if it was not, if, if it was not, you know, brought into under authority immediately and, and dealt with immediately, the, these are the kinds of things, this has to change. We have to be more committed. The body of Christ is sacred. The church is sacred. We all mess up. We all make mistakes, but let there be no mistake. There must be repentance that we can go on and on and on. And, and it is known about us close by and nobody's doing anything that we think that is going to be faithfulness that we're going to face those people that Sunday and we were not faithful mm -hmm. um, to God or to them, uh, that ought to, that ought to bring us to our faces. So I listen, I believe in forgiveness of sins. That's a power of the cross. We cannot out sin his ability to forgive us. I believe wholeheartedly in restoration, I, not necessarily to position. Uh, sometimes that's just not possible, but I do believe in restoration of the person. And yeah. I believe to some kind of where they feel like they have some way to um, serve God uh, fruitfully, but um, I also believe that it is a fearful thing, a fearful thing to have treated the body of Christ with that kind of disrespect and lack of care. Yeah. 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 So uh, may maybe this is a, a conversation for podcast part two with Beth Moore, but, <laughs> but um, I think there's a lot to be said. There's a lot to be discussed. And there's a lot to be learned about sort of this. And I think the right term is sort of this, this um, psychopathic approach to celebrity style leaders where we are constantly putting ourselves at their feet for their attention. 
putting ourselves at their feet for their platform, putting ourselves oh, yeah. in their presence for our own benefit, right? So yeah. that's a that's a heart issue one. First of all, we could talk yes. about sin and all that kind of stuff. But that's also, I think, a discipleship issue in understanding the value that we each have in terms of our own specific identity and calling and significance to the kingdom of God, right? So 100%. How do we navigate sort of this, and it's not all bad, so I'm not, I'm not ranting against that, but how do we sort of navigate the American celebrity culture of Christianity when it comes to, to leaders of the gospel? Like, how do we engage with that well? Well, I'm going to tell you, uh, the responsibility of that is, I love this conversation, by the way. I, I, this, we've, we've only begun to really discuss the repercussions of the celebrity culture that we are in, in our own um, uh, Christian ranks, uh, particularly in the United States. Uh, the, the ripple effect of it is um, just, you know, it's titanic. But um, we have to take responsibility from both sides. It's going to take, we, we've got to do a better job of discipleship because I'm going to tell you, I, I hope somebody's listening that maybe might really hear this. Uh, a lot of people are going to uh, listen and not hear it at all. They're still going to, they're still going to have that drive and that passion to be known and to be a, 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 a somehow in what people would consider to be a, a really cool uh, upfront uh, position. Let me tell you, it is not fun. And I, I wish somebody w- would hear me, just hear me all the way um, to the core. It is not fun. Um, it is a, an enormous responsibility. It comes with tremendous uh, disadvantages, uh, lack of privacy, uh, watching yourself lied about, and, there, and there's, no way, there's no way to clear it up. Uh, that you can't make a mistake without, I still have things quoted, you know, when you've written as, as many books as I have, and you're a career writer, so you've written for 30 years, of course, there are things I look back on and think, that, oh, that was so stupid. But, you know, I'll still hear those things quoted today, you know, in, in, um, in, um, you know, mockery. And I'll think, you know, you do have to let a person grow. A person does get to grow, but mm-hmm. that's something that you give up once you're in, mm. uh, in the public eye. And, and it's, it's not fun. The complications are, are uh, tremendous. And at some time, at some points, traumatic. And it's also for those who become parents, it's hard. It's hard on your kids. It's hard on your family. And so I do not recommend in any way pursuing fame. It would be such a mistake. You will rue the day that you pursued it. Now, if God puts you in the position where a lot of people are listening or watching, that's another story. But man, you better have your head on straight and you better have a setup around you where uh, there is so much accountability and so much uh, protection and there, there are people around you that can humble you like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I know exactly who I can go to that's going to tell me exactly where I've said something stupid. I know exactly which office to walk into at Living Proof. I have a husband and uh, two daughters that are just not impressed by by a pretense and bull. They're just they would call it out anytime, and it's been it's been the best friend to me. But yeah. so so we've got our we as people have got to get over putting our uh, leaders in these positions. We've got to quit thinking of them as anything other than f- flesh and blood prone to wander. 
um, prone to fail. It's got to be Jesus and Jesus alone. But at the same time, the, the person up front must gar, I mean, go out of his or her way to try to dissuade that. Um, you know, I tell you, I'm one, I don't like to act like I have not been in a ditch. I think it's a mistake. Mm. I think it's a mistake to put a promotional us out there. Like we've got always maintain this kind of a persona out there. That's a, that's a grievous mistake because I'm going to tell you something. God is coming for any room, that gap between the pro- promotional us and the actual us. Oh, oh, he is coming for that gap. It's, it's his, he's obligated to it. He's obligated to right. it. It's more getting the spirit where it is through and through every bit of that, where we are, you know, just who we are, whether we are in the dark or whether we are um, out in the, uh, out in the public eye, uh, our, our secret lives. I love, I, I think of this often. I, I love what, what God really talked to me as the theology of secrecy. And you'd find this in, in um, Matthew and in Luke and, and in uh, a little bit of Mark where Jesus says over and over secrets manifest secrets manifest what I do in the secret will, you know, you will say on the rooftops and it's, it's good and, and bad. It means that what's in secret will manifest if it's that we have, you know, harbored a lot of secret sin, um, living a whole different life in secret, whatever it may be. But it's also that we've been in the secret place, with the Lord. If you're faithful when nobody's watching, that's going to come out. You, you can't invest your life in, in the unseen place where nobody's watching, where nobody's watching. You cannot invest yourself in the things of prayer and the things of, of seeking God and being in the scriptures. You, you can't do that and it not bear fruit. What he does in secret with you in that prayer closet when nobody's looking in that car when you're just talking to him and nobody's there with you when you're not when every big moment you have spiritually is not on camera but it's with the lord that's coming out and uh that's a beautiful thing yeah that is, it's, and that's why she's the queen of bible study right there robin that's (laughs) you mentioned a man daughter you mentioned yes. your daughters and your daughter, Melissa, is a, a big part of a living proof. Yes, ministry. she is. Um, how do you see your role now in sort of raising up a, a generation of, of Beth, not, not necessarily Beth Morris, but, but people coming behind you, a generation who's going to kind of take the mantle of what you're leaving behind and what you're, what you've been building? Well, um, you know, no, I don't see it that way because there were so many women that were, were before me, but every generation is called to be faithful to help mentor and teach and train the next one. That's our, that's our job. We all are in that Paul, Timothy, then Timothy becomes Paul. And then there's Timothy, that, that whole generation to generation that we may proclaim the faithfulness of the Lord. That is, that is our responsibility. And one of the things that I I really love to see, I see a lot of our, 30-somethings are now getting into the scriptures. One of the things I'm going to tell you that we've got to do, it's not going to be enough. They're not going to be able to take their places and and stand steadfast in all of the hostility to the gospel, in all of the warfare, in all of the walking as a, 
is a, I mean, severe minority among a huge majority of um, worldly people. We're, we're not going to make it if we do not have, if we're not trained up in the scriptures. And so that's, that's happening. It, it, you can see it happening from decade to decade. But one of the things that I call upon our 20 somethings that are listening, and this is male and female, is that it's not enough to, to get, to have this little snippet um, on Instagram of scripture. That's not, that's not training. It's good. It's not, it's not that it has no value. It's that it will not train you up. It is truly mm -hmm. the study of scripture that is going to uh, equip us for what God has called us to do. So that's one thing I'd really call them forth now to get, and there's all sorts. I mean, you name it for, for any learning style there, there's discipleship material ways to guide you into, um, an understanding of this book of the Bible or that, or this principle or concept of what is the gospel. You can find it, but now really truly uh, the, in these, these 20s, this is a great time to start getting uh, really serious about it and start having a, a, a study life because we won't be able to sustain it uh, otherwise. We won't be able to stay on our feet. There is, it's too, the, the power of the world is too strong. Yeah. Yeah, the cost the cost is too much to it's too much. It's it's too much. So no. well, we're we're starting to run out of time, which is unfortunate. But I, I do want to quickly address, and maybe this maybe that's a really bad idea. Um, one of the things that we, you know, we we like to talk about are certainly events that are current or conversational uh with, with especially with Gen Z right now. And there's no doubt yes. that under the current sort of uh, culture and climate. There's, you know, with the recent election and the unresolved results of that election, at least at this point, um, there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of rhetoric, a lot of heat from every side of the coin. Yes. Yes. So uh, one of the things that I think uh, you have addressed uh, publicly on, on different occasions, yes. but, but certainly uh, it's a conversation we need to have with great Christian civic responsibility Yes. This issue that we're facing with kind of this idolatry of nationalism. Um, there, there's genuinely only one kingdom, right? That That's we it. need to be worshiping. And That's it's, it. And it, listen, I'm a former Marine. I'm red blooded American. I'm, like, with you. I'm an army brat, retired you know army, dead, retired so, army. Absolutely. America, but America Me too. is not my God. So let's talk about very briefly, if we can, just sort of this, how do we begin to tackle some of this idolatrous nationalism that's kind of crept into the church. Okay. In let's, let's do, and I'm going to make good use of our time since we've only got a couple of minutes left because you guys could not be in a better situation to affect uh, the future because you have such um, young believers who are old enough and in and, and in fact most of them old enough to vote even old enough to be aware of of uh some of the policies some of the things that are in play and yet young enough not to have already been completely indoctrinated uh the way that my generation has i'm going to tell you this is one of the biggest struggles I see in America today. And I began to, to be aware of it. I was so um, ignorant about so many things. I couldn't put my finger on what made me uncomfortable about it. But even in my early 20s, 
because I loved Jesus. I was serious about him. My whole life was wrapped up with him. My whole life was wrapped up in ministry and church, but I had friends that would listen to different kinds of radio programs that were very, very oriented to, um, to uh, politics and all. And really, and, and even early on, I, I was uncomfortable with it. And I thought maybe it was just because, well, you've been such a train wreck that you're, it feels so righteous that you, maybe you feel so unrighteous. You feel like you don't, I don't know, it just rubs you wrong. Maybe you feel condemned by it. I didn't know what it was, but I never could shake it off. And, and then growing up and watching it all this time and then, and, and remaining like, oh, this does not feel right. This does not feel right. And just watching it and um, then watching what to me was the earthquake of the last five years in uh, evangelicalism and its complete conflation um, with republicanism. And you gotta know something. I have no few times voted Republican. I'm going, I wanna say that, I wanna be forthright about it because I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I want you to also know to this day, there are many uh, policies uh, of Republicans that I am very much in favor of. I am certainly pro-life, um, and I, but I'm pro-life all the way from the, the moment of conception, all the way to the coffin, all the way to the grave. And yeah. what I want to say, anytime we've, what we watched, I, and when people say how, you know, I didn't see that. I'm going, you weren't looking because when we watch Christian leaders readjust our Christian, our Christian ethics and our Christianity, just in, let's just say it that way to accommodate our politics and to retain power instead of that, we have readjusted our politics to our, our understanding of the gospel, when that gets turned that way, then we have just fashioned a golden calf. And mm -hmm. I want, there's this scene, I want to remind you of it. I think I can even turn to it real quickly. It is in Exodus 32. I always find it so fascinating. And I've thought about it so many times in these last um, four and a half years that there's there is this moment, you know, Moses is up on the mountain. And so they're like, they're just like Aaron's down there with them. And they're like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Maybe we've been, maybe we've been forsaken, whatever. And he just has them bring all, all their jewelry to him all the gold and everything that they've uh, brought out of Egypt. And, you know, he, uh, they, he puts it in the fire and they make this image of the calf. But here, here's what I want you to hear. In verses four and five, it says, and they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. This, in other words, these, these, these saved you. These saved you. And it says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it. Oh, please stay with me here. He, so here's the golden calf, but he's going to build an altar in front of it and made the announcement, there will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Mm. And so early the next morning, they rose and they offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And they sat down and ate and drank and got up to party. Okay, so they make the golden calf, but they're, they're going to put the altar to the Lord. In other words, we can, listen, we can make all of this work. We've got our idol, but we're going to put God first. So no, God doesn't share 
He doesn't share the throne. He doesn't share his, oh, no, 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 no. No, no. You don't get to put a golden calf beside the throne of God. No, you don't. If you build an altar in front of a golden calf to the degree that you have tried to hide a golden calf, God's going to pull that curtain. He will disintegrate that altar every time and it will be known. And it was spectacularly clear, spectacularly clear. We changed our entire story uh, based on our desire to maintain uh, power uh, in the White House. And listen, I've had people say over and over to me again, Beth, um, you know, he, uh, Donald Trump gets to be forgiven just like about, I, I have never said anything different than that. I have, I expected Donald Trump to be Donald Trump. I, my issue is with Christian leaders and our compromising our values very, very publicly in front of the world for what became a poster, the poster boy, the great white hope of the church. We have one hope of the church and his name is Jesus. I've heard over and over again, he was a Cyrus. We don't need a Cyrus. We have Jesus. Cyrus was bad before we had Jesus. There's a, why we need a Cyrus? We got Jesus. He, he is king. He is king. And so one of the things, this must unravel. It absolutely has to. Yeah. And listen, it's not going to be my generation because we're too, we, my generation, even, even some of my friends, they can't see it. It's too ingrained. It's just like when, when we hear people say things like, if you don't vote for Donald Trump, you are not a real Christian. And we are discounting millions of people that are trying to practice integrity, a a number of which are as as saved as we are. And yet we're going to stereotype it. We've lost our mind. We have lost our minds. I I don't feel strongly about it at all. No, no. So here's here's my here's my kind of my my perspective. Then I know we we got to close the show because we're just about out of time. Anytime the stance of your heart requires a stone in your hand, you are the Pharisee that Jesus rejects. Dear Lord, yes. And and that is, Uh I think, where we are in this conversation. And man, do I wish we had another two hours to talk about it. So we'll reach out to her. We'll reach out to me. Listen, you guys have been such a blessing. I am, I just cannot affirm you enough in where God has you. You're in such an important place because these are things that not only must change, they really can, they really can change. I don't think that these that are, that are in their, um, in their early twenties and even up toward 30, I, I don't think they have the same indoctrination where they make the same mm-hmm. assumptions. I think that we've got to have a people call to the gospel. Neither one of these political parties represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both of them have elements uh, to it and uh, hints of it. Neither party does. Neither party does. Yeah. Uh, we have one Savior, and it is Christ. Yeah, Miss Beth, we have one final question we ask yes. every guest yes. who comes on the show. What is uh, one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Oh, okay. I would say, especially I told you that I was 18 when, when the Lord called me. What I would tell you is that God reserves the right to completely upend your uh, vocational plans, completely upend them. I went to college to get to, on a pre-law 
uh, degree and an English minor, and I wanted to be a lawyer, and I wanted to go into government. And there I was in the middle of it. I get a call on my life to go into ministry, and it's like my whole life just upended, and I had no idea where it was going. So yes, plan. Yes, by all means, plan. But please know that he <laughs> has the sovereign right to come and turn your plans upside down, and it may be years before it makes any sense to you, but he who calls you is faithful. Yes, this has been an absolute joy, Miss Beth. And what we are a pleasure for you to be on the show. And we can't uh, thank you enough. That was my joy. Thank you guys so very, very much. And students, it's a pleasure to be able to serve you today. Bye, yes, everybody. Well, as we say at the leadership drip, you've always got a seat at the table. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey friends, thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table.